Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. If you have your Bible, I'd invite you to uh, turn to Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 20. In it, it says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm. But then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. There is a real spiritual war being waged against God, and every believer finds himself in this spiritual battle. This is where Paul's illustration then, it comes in so handy. You see, he uses the Roman soldier's armor to describe what he calls the whole armor of God. And in Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church from prison. Being a prisoner of the Roman Empire, Paul would have had close interaction with the Roman soldiers. And it is with the soldier's armor that the Apostle finds a fitting metaphor for how God has equipped us with protection from a powerful spiritual enemy. And there are no Christian missionaries to fight on our behalf. Each of us must take up the armor of God. This is not a task reserved for the super spiritual among us. All who bear the name of Christ are to be soldiers in his cause, and we require armor to be protected from the battle that rages around us. We are to take up the whole armor of God, a phrase meant to suggest that it provides complete protection from every angle of attack. And it is after having put on all the armor that a believer is equipped to stand firm. The belt of truth. A soldier's belt wasn't an accessory to hold their pants up. It was an important piece of the armor, with which every other piece fastened onto and also held his sword. And just as the belt was the foundational element of the Roman soldier's armor, truth is the center of the armor of God. Christians must hold to what is true because the truth gives us a firm foundation on which to stand for Jesus Christ. The plate of righteousness. We are called to live righteously, to be a Christian and walk in a way unworthy of the calling to which we have been called, is to march into battle with a chink in your armor. But our righteousness is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of our faith. See, we are made righteous through faith in Christ, and we are forever made right with God, so that many of Satan's attacks are deflected by knowing that we are righteous in the eyes of God. This righteousness that becomes a breastplate 
is a rightness with God which can only be obtained through the gospel of Jesus Christ. This righteousness brings us peace. And the gospel of peace, which is the shoes, this gospel carries us through life. We don't give much thought to footwear, but the Roman army shoes were an innovation that allowed them to travel further and faster than their enemies. These boots, called Caligi, had heavy shoes with hobnails in them to provide traction for the wearer. The Roman soldier's footwear is what enabled him to travel through any terrain he might encounter along the way. Similarly, the peace of the gospel is what equips us to travel through rough roads as we carry the same gospel to others. And the shield of faith. The shield of faith would have been an oblong shield about two and a half feet wide by four feet tall. This would have been monstrous considering the average height of a person was five feet at this time. So this was a large shield that would have given a great deal of protection. And similarly, the faith shields, faith shields believers from many troubles. The shield of faith protects us by shielding us with the promises of God and leads us to the next piece of armor, the helmet of salvation. You see, the helmet was meant to protect that which is vital and easily exposed. Like a helmet covering our head, our salvation protects us from being dealt a death blow. Those who are in Christ cannot ultimately be defeated by Satan because we do not fight for victory, rather we fight from a position of victory. And so we see that the whole armor of God leaves the Christian well protected against the dangers of the battlefield. And we need every part of it. But we have not been equipped only for defense, but also for offense. And the weapon of our warfare is the sword of the Spirit. And we are told that the sword is the very word of God given to us by the Holy Spirit. And just as every Roman soldier would be equipped with a gladius, that's Latin for a sword, every believer is equipped with the word of God. This is an especially helpful illustration because a sword is a weapon that is used for both offense and defense. So is scripture. To wield the sword of the spirit is to use scripture to defend against attacks on truth and to destroy strongholds of false belief. And so it is with the sword of the spirit. We use it to defend ourselves against error and outright attacks on the truth of God by knowing and wielding scripture. But we cannot do so without being intimately familiar with this truth. And so this leaves us with a a duty that is clear. Under the banner of Christ, we are to take up the whole armor of God that we may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done so, stand firm. We remember that we don't fight for victory, but from victory. So it uh, was a cold, chilly, late September uh, evening, and in the Central Valley of California, that meant about 50 degrees. And, uh, and uh, it simply came out like this. Next man! Next man up! See, we were, that was our call. When, uh, when one of our players went down on the football field, we, some players, some coaches attended to the player, and the other coaches attended to the team, and it was, next man up! And in this particular case, Tyler knew that was him. We prepared for this moment, we had practiced for this moment, and we knew it was him. See, we had high hopes for this team, we had high hopes for what we were going to accomplish. It was coming at a, at a difficult pace, we weren't realizing all those hopes that we had had for this team. We were into our fourth game of the season, and when we started this year, we realized that we're short offensive linemen. And that was going to be a difficult task for us. You see, you've got to have five to play the game. And we had three all-conference senior linemen returning, and we were excited about that. There were some big boys, some good boys. They were good. We were excited. 
and then we had nobody else. Literally, nobody else. We had a sophomore that was kind of up and coming, and we could train and work with us. We put him in there, and he was doing all right. And then who did we have? We had freshmen. We had sophomores. We had kids that never played football before. We had people who played other positions. What could we do? So we grabbed our backup quarterback. <laughs> that was dumb. And we made him our, our starting guard. He was a baller. He could play football. He liked to be physical. And so we figured this would work for us. And we got him in there. And that morning, or that afternoon, I should say, at the beginning of that game, we were in the first quarter, and we saw him go down. He fractured one of the vertebrae in his back, and he was down. We'd never play the rest of the season. Next man up! <laughs> he knew it. Tyler comes running. See, we had practice. See, because the, the distance from our nobody to our backup quarterback to the Tyler was vast. You see, he, uh, we measured him at about five foot nine, and I think he was standing on a step stool when we did that. And then we recorded his weight as 165 pounds after we had soaked him wet with water. And here was a kid that was a freshman about ready to take the football field with a bunch of 18-year-old uh, men, or at least boys that wanted to be men. His eyes were wide. His smile was huge. He wanted this moment. He had been training for this moment. And we had a, a plan in store. And we, we had been training for that plan. We had been, we, we, we went through it over and over and over again. And, and we figured that it was going to look a little bit like this, that Tyler's face mask came up to the average high school football player's chest. And that he was about as wide as their shoulder pads. And so we figured he could put his chest in their shoulder pads, hang on, and the referees would never see him holding because they can't even see him on the field. And that his job was to hang on to whoever was in front of him. And we simply had this expression, you're going to stand firm. You're going to plant your feet and you're going to stand firm. I said, Tyler, you remember what we taught you? Yes, sir. You ready to go in? Yes, sir. You know what's ahead of us, right? Yes, sir. Coach, I'm ready. I said, oh, no, you're not. But we got to put you in. Yep, we got to put you in. And then we had one more part of our plan. And we said, this is how it's going to work, Tyler. There is not one person that you're going to block. There's not one person that you're going to get in front of that is going to make a tackle tonight that doesn't have to go over your face. The only way they make a tackle is if they go over your face, which means you are now involved in that tackle. Yes, sir. And I said, now you remember, Tyler, right? You remember how we're going to do this. And I said, if our quarterback gets sacked once and I don't see cleats on your chest, I'm pulling you out and I'm reading you the act. Yes, sir. And he ran and took that field with what must have seemed like giants to him. And he played the game of football. A game that he shouldn't even be playing. A game that his strength and height and weight didn't have any business being on that field. Played a position that somebody should have pulled me off as a coach for putting him there. You see, as an elementary young man, we almost lost Tyler. He had leukemia. He almost didn't make it. So he didn't quite grow as big and fast as some of the other ones. He wasn't quite as strong as some of the other ones. This kid had a heart. This kid just wanted to play. His family were like avid Raiders fans, which just is dumb. But And all he wanted to do was play football. And here he was as a freshman taking the field to play the game that everybody said, literally everybody said, you won't be able to play. You overcame it. 
overcame the obstacles, overcame what was ahead of them, overcame all the things, all the people said you can't and you shouldn't and you won't. He overcame it. Overcame it. He just told him to stand your ground. Stand firm. And at the end of the book of Ephesians, in chapter 6, Paul says the exact same thing to us. Stand firm. Stand your ground. He knew the road ahead of the believers that he loved so much was going to be difficult. He knew that the task was going to be daunting. He knew that they would need to grow in their confidence and their strength and their faith, but he knew they would be under attack. And so he said, stand firm. Stand firm. I don't know about you, but sometimes in this walk with Christ, I feel a little bit like Tyler. I'm excited to walk the walk. I've been practicing, but I feel undersized. I feel outplayed. I feel not strong enough. I feel like I spend more time having a having cleats on my chest and falling on my face than I do walking in victory. Not sure how you feel. Sometimes I feel really adequate to be called a son of the great king. The bottom line is living the Christian life is difficult. It just is. It's difficult. Even Paul said it. I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I want to do. We want to spend time with God, but then the day goes by. We want to help others, but then we don't want to sacrifice. We want to be truthful and have integrity, but then we want people to value us, so we do and say what we think they want. We want to be kind, but instead we cut with our words. We want to be encouraging, but instead we tear down. We we want to live with God in charge, but yet we fear what tomorrow will bring. We want to be faithful in our marriages, and yet we fail to shut down our lust and our desire for something new. We want to raise our kids in the ways of the Lord, and yet we don't want to live according to the ways of the Lord. I want to trust God so often, but I find myself doubting. Two steps forward and five steps back. This walk with Christ is hard. It's difficult. And Paul knew that well. He knew the battle was going to be fierce. He knew it was going to be relentless. Before we get to the passage, let's remember a little bit about what Paul was doing and where he was at. He wrote this letter to many of the churches, but with a focus on Ephesus. A church, a a city that was the third largest city in the Roman Empire. Movers and shakers for sure. He spent two years with these believers, teaching them, showing them, demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ. Teaching them how to follow as well as many other churches in the area. And what was his reward? He was thrown in jail. So at the time of writing this, he was chained to a Roman guard in Rome. Not just any Roman guard, but the elite. The elite of all Roman soldiers. The ones that were part of Caesar's household. So the imagery that Doug talked about, you can see that it wasn't just random soldiers. It was the soldiers that had the best, were the best equipped, were the ones with the most resources, and the ones most ready for battle. Rome's special forces, maybe. Maybe we could equate it to that. So let's read. Let's read. And if you don't have your Bibles with you that you're going to be reading, maybe you'll follow along on the outline. 
But I'm going to ask you to take a pen, and I'm going to ask you to underline some stuff and circle some things. And, and then maybe you'll even take that outline home because maybe you don't have your Bible with you. And you'll sit down, you'll read again this passage, and you'll pause at those words. You'll describe your outline where you underline them. You'll take them back, sit it next to that passage, and you'll pause at those words. You'll give them thought. You'll give them, uh, uh, you know, your, your contemplation. Okay? Ephesians 6, verse 10 is where we're going to start. Okay, ready? Okay. Finally, we need to stop. Okay, finally. I know we were just going to blaze through, but we can't, right? What have we talked about? What have we talked about so often? Consequently, therefore, finally, because of, those are all words that you have to stop. Whenever you're reading scripture, you're in your 365 plan, just stop at one of those words. You're in your, you're in your devotions, you're studying a couple books of the Bible, you're, you're really getting into the book of James, or you're, or you're, getting, you're, you're reading through the, 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 the Psalms, or whatever it is. You see the word, therefore, consequently, because of, finally, finally. You got to go back. You got to say, finally, what? What, was it, finally, what came before finally? What was it all about? Well, maybe you're thinking, finally, we're going to finish up Ephesians. We started it in the beginning of June. Finally. Well, that's, that's the point. Paul's finishing up Ephesians, and he's saying, finally. So where were we? For the last five chapters, Paul's saying, I told you what God has done for you. I've encouraged you with the greatness and the majesty of what God has done for you. The sacrifices that he's poured out for you. The guarantee of your future, uh, for all those who are in Christ. He deposited the Holy Spirit, guaranteeing not only our eternity, but making sure we understood that he was with us in our present, always leading us and guiding us through his spirit, unpacking the word of God so that we can understand and never be without it, making us his sons and daughters, assuring us of that as we go. In chapters 2 and 3, he tells us that all of that took place by redemption, that we were ransomed. That what is the value that we walk this walk with? What is the value that we have in the kingdom of God? That God himself gave his blood and his life on behalf of us. That's how valuable we are. You can't find, we talked about, you can't find that value in your workplace. You can't find that value in your relationships. You can't find that value anywhere. That the God, the creator of all things, would come, the king of kings, the lord of lords, and offer his life as a ransom from you, taking you from captivity, taking you from obedience to your sinful flesh, taking you from obedience to the father of lies, and instead giving you life, ransomed you, giving himself on your behalf, changing places with you, covering you with his righteousness, presenting you before the father as perfectly justified and righteous. Now, because of that act of love and grace and mercy, you are sons and daughters of the king. He reminds us in the later part of 3 and 4 and 5. And in matter of fact, it doesn't just remind us. Paul insisted upon it that because of who our Redeemer is, our Father, our Dad, that we're going to live differently. We're going to live like sons and daughters of the King, not of this world. It will change the way we talk, the way we treat others, the way we value things, what we run after. It'll change what we desire. It'll change everything about us because of what chapter 5 verse 1 says. As dearly loved children, imitate your father. Then in chapter 5, the rest of it, we find out how sons and daughters of the king will love their spouses. What it will mean to be pure in heart and action. We learn that the kingdom, the kingdom views and value of our sexuality, whether we are single or married. This new life as sons and daughters will change the way we live and teach our kids 
it'll change the way we conduct ourselves with our own parents. And then he says, finally, finally. Be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Do me a favor. Underline stand. Circle stand, whatever you got to do. So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. He's cunning. He's scheming. He's divisive. And he's coming after you. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, not when it comes, not if it should come, but when it comes, and it will come like a ton of bricks that sits upon your chest, and now you can't even breathe because the enemy will come against you. And when it comes, that you may be able to stand Come on, underline that again. Stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, underline it again. Stand firm. Understand that in our in Scripture, when a word is repeated and repeated and repeated, it carries great significance. It is supposed to catch our attention, and it becomes the, 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 the direction of this passage and one of the main meanings of this, pas- of, of this passage. Stand firm then with the belt buckle around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted for the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation, the word of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Stand. Stand firm because the battle will rage. That's the very first thing we see when he says, finally, there is a battle and it will be raging. It's a battle for our own souls and the souls of others. The faithful Christian life is a battle. The faithful Christian life is a battle. We try to do everything we can just to escape the battle, not feel the pain, not go through the difficulties, to say, hey, I don't want that. What was that all about? I thought the life with Jesus was supposed to be an easy life, and we do everything we can. And when that battle comes, we're like, oh, I don't want that. What is that? And instead, it says, stand. Stand right in the midst of it. Don't you dare turn tail and run away. You stand, and you stand fearlessly, and you stand strong, because the Lord has equipped you to stand there. He hasn't called you to something that he hasn't equipped you to do. So stand. Stand firm. Because when God begins to bless, Satan begins to attack. Let me say that again. Because when God begins to bless, Satan begins to attack. And you can guarantee it. If we're walking worthy of our calling, in humility rather than pride, in unity rather than divisiveness, in new self rather than old self, in love rather than lust, in light rather than darkness, in wisdom rather than foolishness, in the fullness of the Spirit rather than the drunkenness of wine and the, and the, and the pursuit of this life, in mutual submission rather than self-serving independence, then we can be absolutely certain that we will have observation, observation, Opposition and conflict. Paul is saying, stop everything. Lean in and listen. There is a battle and the battle is raging and you have been equipped, but you must stand firm. We do a great job inviting people into the kingdom, don't we? I mean, come on, we do. Because of God's great love, 
because of his mercies, because of his grace, no one is excluded from the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past. The Lord says, I forgive you and draw you into the kingdom. And not only does he say, I draw you into the kingdom, right? We talk about it almost every week. He makes you sons and daughters and you're heirs to, the, you're heirs to, to Christ. You're part of the kingdom. He gives you a plan. He gives you a purpose. He says, I have life for you and life in abundance. I mean, he, it is, this is good. Why do people say no to this? This is good. You want that? Of course you want that. Raise your hand. We'll pray together, of course. Let's raise our hand and we'll pray together. You receive this incredible offering from Jesus Christ and now you're in the kingdom of heaven. Sons and daughters of Jesus Christ, welcome to the kingdom of heaven. Woo! We throw a party and we go walking. And we fail to teach with great conviction the second part of the message. And so what you end up with is you end up with a sea of broken, fallen, stumbled over, trampled over, running backwards followers of Christ because they don't know the second part of the truth. They become disillusioned. They become fearful. They fail to trust. Self-doubt takes over. The second part is this. As soon as you say yes to the love of Jesus, as soon as you say yes to giving your life for Christ, as soon as you say yes, I want to be one of his sons and daughters, you are no longer at war with God, praise him. But now you become one of the most hated, despised people that has ever lived the face of the earth. Your me the message goes something like this. Now that you have raised your hand to say yes to Jesus, Satan will notice and he will hate you. And he will try to destroy you and everything you love. He will try to turn yourself against you. 